Good morning. Am I supposed to do the offering or? <laughs> it really is such a joy to be with you. Oh, you forgot it. <laughs> is he serious? Do you need? Oh, okay. Could you, we're going to take up an offering. I want you to be seriously generous this morning. <clears throat> it's a great joy to be with you and um, I have been to the Isle of Wight um, on two other occasions and Mark has on many occasions invited me and said, please come and be with Apex. Um, but sadly, as our world has grown, it's been more and more difficult. But um, I was overjoyed when I heard that uh, you were hosting our Hub National, where we get all our church leaders and others together for a week. We've been doing uh, it for a couple of years now. This was our ninth one. And so it was fantastic this week. And may I just... Um, echo Mark's um, thanks and thank you very much. I've received many messages over the last few days saying it was fantastic. Thank you. And so to all of you here on the Isle of Wight, we'll be back. Um, you know who said that, eh? It was the angel as Jesus ascended into heaven. But yes, it was Arnie. It was a joy many years ago to, to meet Mark and uh, also Donna. I met Donna first. Uh, she came out to the farm because we were about to receive a team from overseas. And there was really a, a friendship born straight away. And uh, it's been a joy to see how God has taken friendships and linked them together, which is the way I believe that he builds church and the way that mission happens it's not a nameless, faceless group of people trying to fulfill some great demand, but it's a family working together, expressing the love of Jesus. And so over the years, it's been amazing just to, to see what God has done. Um, a few years ago, I became aware of a um, quite a big change coming to your church as uh, Richie and Raina, who were faithfully serving here, became obvious that um, they were due for a move. And I was aware, I think, before many of you here, and it was all new to me. I hadn't uh, been to the Isle of Wight before. And um, I, I really did intercede for you as a church because I knew what a treasure you were, not only to Richie and Raina, but to us as a, a movement. And um, it was like, what, where do we go from here now? But you know, one of the scriptures that has shaped my life is John sixteen thirteen, where Jesus said to his disciples, my spirit will show you what is yet to come. I mean, what an advantage for we believers who are spirit-filled, that the very essence of God himself dwells in us and gives us insight into what's to come, the plans of God. And so while we were back home um, in South Africa, um, I really had Apex Church in my heart and saying, Lord, you've really got to show us where we go from here. And um, I can't remember. We were laughing last night, reminiscing. But um, very clearly the Lord said to me, Mark and Jackie Thornett. I thought, Mark and Jackie? Wow, that would be fantastic. But I wonder if they know where the Isle of Wight is. <laughs> no. And I remember making the phone call and thinking, oh, Lord, I hope this is you. And um, there were tears on the other side. And such a joy to see what's happened. And you think how Jesus said, I'll build my church. And Richie and Raina prospering on, on the mainland and joining us and helping carry things. And seeing Mark and Jackie here and all of you. And then seeing, as some of you have witnessed over the last few minutes, what God did in this building over the last few days as the nation gathered together to pray, and not only pray for the United Kingdom and for the Isle of Wight, but to pray for the nations. Um, it is quite extraordinary. So it was wonderful. And uh, just to you, Mark, and Jackie's out with the young ones. Thank you so much for responding to the purposes of God. And God bless you here. And um, we will be with you. This morning, I want to speak to you about the body of Christ something we've all seen over the week in a, in a new expression for some of you. And um, 
I want to speak to you because the, the body of Christ, the church, the community of God is a real passion for Heather and I. It's what we gave our lives to. In fact, it started in 1992 as a businessman. I went to an event similar to what we've had this week, slightly more people, about 300. And the only reason I went is because we had quite a big people carrier type vehicle and I was a self-employed businessman and um, the elders of the church said, could you take us? And I thought, yeah, I can do that. I didn't have to ask anyone for leave, and so except Heather. And I drove the, the, uh, this team across the, the nation of South Africa to a big marquee in the mountains of KwaZulu-Natal. And when I was there, I sat right at the back, and I was listening to this. And the, the guy who was leading, his name is Dudley Daniels, opened Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 1, and he preached out of God's Word to the people of Israel, you have camped at this mountain, Mount Horeb, uh, too long. It's time to break camp and advance into the nations I have promised you. And as he's preaching, my heart melted for the unreached people of the world. It was just a sovereign moment in God where suddenly the scales fell off my eyes of what real church is all about. Not just a gathering on a Sunday to hold ground until Jesus returns, but that we were meant to join together and advance into the nations. And at the end of that message came the call. If you feel God is calling you to break camp, would you come? And I was the first one to the front. All the leaders of my church saw this guy with long legs go by and thinking, what is he doing there? But so God had got hold of my heart and I saw God's great purpose to make his name known right across the world through his church. And so today I believe God wants to just um, give you and remind you of a fresh view on the back of what we experienced this past week. And I must watch the time. Ah, there is a clock up there. That's great. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to Paul's letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, as we know it. Um, you'll uh, know the passage quite well. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Um, for all of those who came into spirit-filled life, who enjoy the gifts of the Spirit, chapter 12 is wonderful because it gives you a, not an exhaustive list, but a, quite a comprehensive list um, that Paul gives to the church. These are the gifts that God has given. And it's wonderful, you know, that it says to each one. And we are wonderfully gifted by God. But Paul is dealing with a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. And so he tells them, this is what the Spirit has brought. But now I want to tell you about the community of God. I want to tell you how the, the gifts work in the body. So let me read from verse 12, 1 Corinthians Chapter 12 and verse 12. <clears throat> For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks... I mean, for us nowadays, I don't think we realize the significance of those two words being used together. You know, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, even as big a divide. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But it is, as God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose, such important words, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, 
nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think, uh, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, unpresen- and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Father God, we want to say thank you so much for your church, for the community of the Spirit, born out of the work that Jesus, your Son, did on the cross. Jesus Christ, we thank you that you gave yourself for us, that you drew all these strange parts together to become one, that you poured out your Spirit upon us and you dwell among us. We thank you that we look to you. And I pray this morning here at Apex, Lord, after our remarkable week, we want to pray, Lord, that you'd give us a fresh vision and a hope and a desire to see your church flourish here on the Isle of Wight, in the United Kingdom, a nation that so needs the church at this hour, and then, Lord, to the far ends of the earth. So I pray now, Lord, through all you've laid on my heart, that you would guide me, that I'd serve my brothers and sisters well this morning, that we would leave here rejoicing that we are part of your community. I bless you. I thank you in your wonderful name. Amen. Over the last three, uh, sorry, many years that I have been involved in full-time ministry, as I would call it, there have been moments where... I have been truly overwhelmed by the beauty of the church. I remember once, I would believe it was around about 2008, we were in southern Africa leading a church in a post-apartheid South Africa. We were in the heart of the country where the divide between race groups was, was immense. We were in a small conservative community where people lived in different parts. The remnants of that terrible system of apartheid still continued. And it was into that that God called us to plant a church. And it's not just any church, but a church with multiculturalism and one new man right at the heart of the community. And after many years of ups and downs and buildings and successes and failures, we got to a point where we became a community of some 400 from uh, our town of about six or 7,000 people from many, many different race groups. I think we had 11 different people groups in the church at the time. A people who had been so separated by a political system, but now all in one a building together under one name, worshiping one God. And it took a lot of hard work. At times I felt we were going backwards. But on this particular day, I can remember standing and we were worshiping. We were singing in, in some songs in Zulu. We had sung in English as we did this morning. We were singing in Bemba, I remember, which is a, a North African language. We sang in Afrikaans, local South African language. And we had been worshiping. And during this, suddenly, as we experienced this week, some of you mentioned, the worship took off. And it came not from the songs on the overhead, but it came from deep within the 400 gathered in that meeting. And there was this moment where the voices took off. And I can remember standing, shouting, Jesus, Jesus, listen, as if you can't hear. And I was shouting, Gavin said, are you okay? I said, no, listen. And I was shouting, Jesus, listen, because what we were starting to see was the true nature of the church blossoming through worship. 
It was a life-changing moment for me. A few years later, Heather and I moved to the Middle East, and we were based in the, the great and unusual city of Dubai. And suddenly we were leading a, a church that was fairly pastoral, but a wonderful group of people. The nations were so diverse that there wasn't one people group that dominated. It was just all the people of the world. In fact, in Dubai, there are over 240 different nations represented now. And the church was like that. So you had all these different people. And I can remember on that particular morning, we were celebrating. We encouraged everyone to come in their national dress which was um, an extraordinary event, particularly when you have Pakistanis and Indians and you see all the people in their saris and, you know, all the different dress from Africa and all that. And this whole community was like that. And then we had organized it that one by one people went up and testified what they were like and what Christ had done. And suddenly, once again, this people group, you could just, I saw it and I thought, Lord, Look at this. This is something man cannot do. Man cannot take all these people, all their weird background beliefs, strengths, weaknesses, and bring them together as one to one God. But the greatest moment, I believe, in my church experience was in 2003. We had just begun to really build this community in Africa together. We were quite divided and it was difficult. And so we took a a week out for prayer and fasting. And each day we, we wrote a little booklet, not dissimilar to this. And each day, Monday had a theme, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We got to Thursday and I was on duty. I was leading the morning prayer meeting. We were fasting right through the day, meeting in the evening, worshiping, and then... Um, so right through the week, it was wonderful, morning and night in this little town. And in the morning prayer meeting, um, the booklet took us to remember the poor, very much part of our community. And we, we had many different ministries um, in our town, healthcare and education and job creation, all sorts of things. And we wanted to pray through them. And we were worshiping. And as I said, I was leading the meeting, and it's one of those mornings you think, why am I on duty this morning? Because our headmistress of the school we had started, Margaret Grant, stepped forward and she said, I want to read you a scripture that I believe God wants to become a reality among us. So I thought, wow, that's a nice way of saying it. So I'm going to read to you from Acts 4, verse 32. And I thought, oh my goodness. Because when she started reading, she started to speak about the early church, that they had everything in common. They shared everything they had. And there was no needy person among them. In front of me, in that prayer meeting, there were about 60, 70, 80 people. We were a community where 70% of our people were in abject poverty. There's probably no running water or electricity, living in shacks. There was another group sort of in the middle trying to survive life. And then there was this very tiny little group who we would say were wealthy. And now suddenly God's saying, I want this to be a reality. No needy people among you. I thought, oh my goodness, what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? But you know, the spirit is amazing. So I said to everybody, I bought a bit of time. I don't know how this works, but let's lift our voices. (laughs) Typical pastor. Let's pray, (laughs) which is a wonderful thing. And so we lifted our voices. I'm saying, Lord, what do you want to do? And as we began to pray, I felt God giving me wisdom. And what we ended up doing, I said to everybody, right, stop. This is what we're going to do as a church. We're going to stop this meeting now. We must contact all the other people of the church and tell them what we're doing. But everybody must go home. And I want you to go through your possessions. Cool church this, isn't it? eh? Go through all your possessions. 
And if there are things in your house that you have not used for the last two or three months, that must mean you don't actually need them. And during the day, would you bring them all to the church facility? And then this evening, we'll all gather together and we'll share our possessions. Gavin Northcote, who was a fellow elder with me, said, we're going to have a riot tonight. <laughs> I said to him, well, let's trust God. And so we all did that. Heather and I went home. We went through our cupboards and we found, I mean, to be honest with you, we were not a wealthy family, but we filled a pickup truck with stuff. We took it back to the facility in the evening and I thought, this is going to be quite some evening. When I arrived there, I don't know who did it, but they had taken our facility and they'd put all, we sat on benches in those days, they'd put the benches in lines right through the facility, like a supermarket. And they had allocated areas for clothing, for electronic goods, for foodstuffs, for crockery. It was like a supermarket. It was amazing. And so we brought all our stuff in, and as the evening came, more stuff came until this room was packed. The poorest of the poor brought stuff. It was so moving. See someone arriving, and they're bringing a saucer because they haven't used it for three months, and they've got another few. A cup saucer, and they bring it and say, there you go. And they put it with all the crockery. And in the evening, the place was packed out. The anticipation was amazing. Everybody waiting. And Gavin said, I'm glad you're leading. <laughs> we said, right. If you are a widow and a mom, would you come and stand in a line here? And round about 16 women came forward, some of them with babies, we said, okay, if you are, I can't remember the order now, but if you are um, looking after other people's children, so you've taken children into your home, because that's how it works. We don't have a safety net at all in Africa. Um, would you go next? And we went through, if you live in an informal house, would you go next? And so there was this long snake of people developing. And then we got, and if you are... An orphan here tonight, if you're part of our community, would you find an adult and bring them to the front? Somebody had arrived. I mean, it was extraordinary with these massive big shopping bags. And so we gave everybody a shopping bag. And we said, now, you go into the, the rows and you can walk through and you choose one thing. And then you join the queue again, and you can do that four or five times tonight. So at the end of the night, you should have five or six things. And you can take what you like. I said to everybody like ourselves, if you don't need anything, would you be the shop attendants and help people, particularly the clothing and everything? Brothers and sisters, the beauty of the church suddenly just started to shine. There wasn't one camera there last, that night. There wasn't one photograph taken because I believe it was a holy moment. What we read there became a reality. We had stories to tell. I, mean, I walked through and I, I got to this little elderly little basutu lady with her blanket on and she's standing in front of the crockery and somebody had brought this beautiful set of um, Heather, help me here. What's it? Bone china type stuff. That crockery. <laughs> she knows all these things by name. Um, and she was standing there and she had picked up the one cup like this. And you know those cups with the beautiful, they're lightweight and all the patterns. And the, she's looking at it like this. And she looked and she opened a bag and she put it in. And I put my hands on her shoulder and I said, Mama, it's not the cup. It's the whole set. And she said, wow. And we got someone to pack up this entire set. 
And right there and then I felt God say to me, that's my heart for the people, for my church. We, we settle for the little cup of times. God saying, come on, it's everything. Brothers and sisters, the church is an incredible thing. We saw it this week. We experienced it in a measure. Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesians, he spoke about how uh, through Christ he created in himself this one new man that we've been caught up in and birthed into. Not a modification of the Jews or an adaption of the Gentiles to try and change them some way. But a whole new creation, this body that both Jew and Gentile are born into. There is nothing like it on earth. It's been quite a week for this nation. And I'm sure across this room there are people this way and that way. And there was one picture I saw on, in the media last night of them removing the Union Jack in Brussels. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. The guy folding it up. And you know, on earth we try all sorts of things to try and bring people together. But there is only one thing that truly brings everybody in on the same level, and that's Jesus Christ. Now Paul is writing to the Corinthian church because he's wanting to remind them who they are. And he's wanting to remind them how it works. And unfortunately, I would love to spend a day on this, but I can't. Um, we've got a ferry to catch and you've got lunch and all of that. But I want to just go through a few key things that if we can get in our hearts, it changes the way that we engage in local church and it also gives us such a big vision of the purposes of God for his church in the nations. I mean, it's absolute joy this morning, and thank you, Mark, for praying. But in my nation of South Africa and KwaZulu-Natal, Freedom Church was born this morning. And if time allowed, I would put some pictures up. I received some just before we arrived. And here's a room about this side, and it's packed with people. Earlier this morning, there was no community there. But this morning, a community has been born. And over the weeks and the months and the years, more and more are going to be added into this great body of Jesus Christ. We missed it, unfortunately, and didn't celebrate it much. But last week in Guadalajara, we also planted a new church called River of Grace. Rio de Gracia, I think it's called. The chap's name is Saul. And there's a new one there. And all over the world, these communities are being born, which are all part of the greater purposes of God. So what is Paul saying through this letter to the Corinthians? Number one, he's speaking about unity, oneness. You are one body. Verse 12, just as the body is one. Just as the body is one, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, oneness has been achieved. I meet some churches where their vision statement of the church is to strive for unity. And I said to them, mm, I believe unity is achieved. All we've got to do is learn to live in it by humbling ourselves by honoring one another, because Jesus achieved unity. He took all the nations, he died, he poured out his spirit and created this one new man that is unified. What a wonderful thing the church is. So that's the first thing he wants them to know. The second thing that he wants them to see is that we are a diverse people, diversity. So there's unity, and then there's diversity. And so he goes through and he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And as I said earlier, if one understands the gravity of what he was saying, never in all history was there ever a bigger divide between two people groups, Jew and Greek. 
It is a chasm that cannot be mended except through a work of God. And so Paul wants them to know, listen, you, you different peoples, you different gifts, you different races, you different social standings, all these things. There's diversity in all these different ways. But the main purpose is, so you've got unity achieved, you've got all this diversity. And so the third point he wants to make is that it's all worked out in community. That God takes the, creates unity, he takes all the diversity, and then he draws it together in the great community of God. Paul knows that the church is already united. It's united in Jesus and by the Spirit. He knew the diversity of race and gift and social standing. He knew all of that. But the gospel challenge for the Corinthians was to become one. Because if you know the book, there were all sorts of things dividing the people. And he's saying, no. We need to be one. We need to be one. And in order to explain this oneness, Paul has to grapple with some wrong thinking. And in fact, Fusi McQueno, who preached on Wednesday night, touched on quite a bit of it. And he wants to tackle some wrong thinking that's in the church. And sadly, brothers and sisters, because of our cultural background, because of our upbringing, our worldview, we can grow up not even realizing it. That some of these things are part of us. And the first wrong idea that Paul wants to hammer in the Corinthian church is we don't belong together. We don't belong together. And so he uses the parts of the body. He says, um, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. I forget, is it Joyce that gave the testimony earlier? Was that right? Your reference to Donna's message on Wednesday morning. And Donna, thank you so much once again for blessing us so much. Because, you see, who's Paul speaking on behalf of here? I believe he's speaking on behalf of the poor. For a poor man, it's hard to belong. It's hard to belong. And so even as we go in and we start breaking into the nations, you'll find nations say, oh, we don't belong. You know, you, you've all, you educated, you well-resourced, you this, you that. We, we, we don't belong. And so there is a massive task And the idea here is because of our gifts or race or class, we are different. And because we are different, um, we don't belong together is a total and totally wrong in terms of Jesus Christ and what he achieved. And if we're going to do true justice to the gospel as we go forth, we've got to have this understanding that we've got to be intentional in making sure that every part of the body feels totally knitted in. Just over a year ago, we did our global offering, and thank you so much for sharing in that with us. And I remember Donna contacting me and said, "Um, I'm in Burundi. The church here has asked if they can participate in the offering. (laughs) And of course we said, of course they can But even in our actions at times, we can look at this situation where it's survival. And even by saying, listen, don't worry about the offering. This is is not for you. We're excluding them from the blessing that comes through giving. It can happen so easily. Just through our action. It's it's good intent. It's, no, we'll help you. And they're saying, no, no, no. We want to participate. And then came the message, Steve, we've got $105 from the Chirama Church, I think it was, Donna. You just feel your heart melt, you know, like Paul's Macedonian church. Out of there, nothing. Out of there, nothing. We've got lots of work to do. In this little booklet at the back are our uh, values. 
And there's two in here that says the first one uh, I want to just point out is intentional about diversity. It isn't possible to put the fullness of Jesus Christ on display without full diversity. It's really difficult. I took a group of people to a mountain in the desert in the Middle East called Jebel Hafit. It's very strange. You've got desert, and then you've got a mountain, a mile high, just like this, right in the middle of the desert. It's just quite incredible, called Jebel Hafit. And as they do in the Middle East, they went up there and cut the top off and built a fabulous hotel. And so I took a group of leaders from all over the world, like this week in the early days, and we all came together and we met there and they were very open to us, which I really appreciated. It wasn't easy to find places to meet. And we worshipped and we sang, we heard from one another. We were Africans, we were Indians, we were uh, Europeans, we were from all over the world, about 40 of us. And I was speaking on the one morning, so I got up very early. I went down to the um, uh, dining room as it opened so I could have a quick breakfast and some coffee and get ready for the day. And I was having coffee, and this very lovely young Filipino lady who was serving in the restaurant came and poured my coffee and said, Good morning, I hope you're having a good time here. And I said, Yes, thank you. And I'm trying to concentrate, get ready for my message. And I realized she hadn't gone away. So I turned around and she said, um, May I ask you a question? So I said, yes, who are you? So I thought, um, so I said, my name. She said, no, oh, sorry, not you, all of you. And I said, ah, well, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say it here, but we are all Christian leaders from across the world. And she said, I thought so. <laughs> because you see, you see the, the joy and the love that makes us one, the diversity worked out in this unity and love and joy, we've put Jesus on display. And so we've got to be intentional about diversity. Be intentional. I could tell you stories. I better move on. Time is shooting by. But the other one is here. Embracing the poor. Not ministering to the poor, embracing them. Why do we embrace them? Because we've got things to learn from them. I spend time with some of our leaders in Africa, and I, they're living by faith. And I think they've got such a rich story of Jesus to tell. And I can learn from them their faith and their understanding. And so it says we continue the apostolic directive to remember the poor why? So that we can learn. But also it says, so that they can participate as co-equal partners in the gospel. We recently opened up Australia, where we now have a number of churches. Great joy. Heather and I go there in 10 days' time or so. And I took a team with me, because it's fine to go travel around, but I, I want this movement to be built around an expression of who we are, the diversity. And so I took 14 people with me to Australia. And some of them were from very, very poor backgrounds. And I was overjoyed when all the visas came through. And on the one particular morning, we got a lady by the name of Topsy McQuena to stand up and share from a humble background. And she stood up and started to share. She had us all in tears she spoke about who we are as a people and what it's like to be a co-participant in world mission. She said, here I am in Australia. Brothers and sisters, what a remarkable people. We belong together. We belong together. And we must never miss it. I'm going to have to move on a little bit faster. If we miss it, I believe that we miss that our salvation is all of God and all about grace. It is to make something other than Jesus the basis for our togetherness, which we must never allow. We belong together, and then we understand the great picture. The second idea that Paul wants to undermine 
is this one, where the eye says to the hand, I have no need of you. I have no need of you. What's that speaking of? Independence. For the poor, it's the feeling of we don't belong because what do we bring? We bring nothing. On the other end is the first world, you and I, where we can slip into an independent way of thinking. we, We don't really need this. And that's what Paul wants to really work through with these people. Jesus isn't just uh, looking for us to obey rules and toe the line. He wants to change the world through his body. And so he wants this community that are fully interdependent on one another, fully embracing, drawing together. And then the church comes to maturity and the world looks at us. And sees us and says, they are different. They are different. Those are the churches we want. Where we're in situations where there isn't a lot of diversity. It was quite interesting this morning, um, Mike was talking about reaching the unreached. We're very aware as we planted Trinity Church London uh, just under two years ago. That in London alone, Greater London, there are 38 unreached people groups which are listed on the list of unreached people groups in London. Incredible. And so it'll be. So you're absolutely right. But if we as the church are going to see this and we, we want diversity, if you start to pray for it, if you start to reach out, if you look across this Congregation say, okay, let's celebrate our diversity. Where do we all come from? How do we express that? We've got all sorts of different people. We say, come on, let's, let's have a, a celebration day of diversity. And you start to pray. God starts to send people to you, builds the church. As you begin to value that, so you'll see it grow. And so your impact will grow. Many years ago, as we planted our first church, um, it was a, an amazing experience, scary. We were very remote and quite lonely. But I remember on our second Sunday, as we were about to start, I looked down our long driveway. We live on a, on a farm there. And walking up was this tall man with quite wonderful stature. I could see he was around about 30 years old. And he was very tall for a Basutu man. And um, he came walking up and very nicely dressed. And he came up to me and he said, My name is Justice. I've come to be saved. And um, that day was one that had a big impact on Heather and I. And so I said to him, Well, you've come to the right place. And um, so come inside. I said, They'll Come a moment later in the meeting where I'll give an opportunity for the likes of you to be saved. And he got wonderfully saved. But because of who he was, Heather and I invited him and one other to come and have lunch with us after the meeting. And we said, Justice, come and have lunch. I'm not sure we'll put some food together. Come and eat with us. So we go into the kitchen, uh, kitchen and we're sitting down and Heather prepared lovely lunch and we're enjoying it. And slowly, as we got to know justice, we realized what a big moment that was. Because his backstory was he was born on that particular farm. But he had been so badly treated, they weren't allowed to, they were fenced in in an area on the farm. And as a young boy, he was never allowed to leave the fence area unless he was with his parents. I mean, it was total oppression. It was very, very sad. And he's telling us the story. He said, actually, you can still see where my home is up on the hill. But things got so bad. There were so many bad things that happened. My grandmother got shot and killed. All sorts of things happened that we fled. And he said, this house, this house, this place, was the center of all evil for me 
and for my family. And now I'm sitting in the kitchen eating. And there was just this moment where we were all like, oh my goodness, what is God doing here? And then we heard the backstory even further. He said, so we fled to Lesotho, and over a period of time, I started having these dreams. Where this man would come to me in the middle of the night, dressed in white, beautiful man. And he would say, justice, justice. In the years to come, you will teach people out of my book. And he'd go to his mother and say, Mom, this man keeps coming at night. And they'd take him off to the witch doctor, pay lots of money to get Muti to stop this man coming. Not possible. He'd come again and again. And we thought, wow, what God is doing. And so these relationships started to come together. And this is the power of the gospel. I know it's hard for any community when you start to realize that refugees start arriving and other people groups start coming and everything in us wants to say, you know, this is our community. Do we really want this? But as the church, we've got to think differently. That everyone that comes to the island, everyone that crosses, everyone that settles, we've got to realize Jesus, send them to us. Send them to us that we can put something in them and that we can go together. Whole church said, hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ is an incredible body. Let's value it. Let's pay attention to all that's hidden in her. I'd love to go through that with you. Let's do life together. You've excelled this week. We've watched you. Well done. Care for the needy among you. Donna's going to help a lot as she comes here because she's got such a heart and has taught all of us so much over the years. So much. And then be a bridge builder. Help this happen. You are part of an incredible people group, which Paul called one new man, this new man. If you love that statement, read Martin Lloyd-Jones on it. Absolutely extraordinary. You're part of this great community. One day, we'll all gather in before him together, see Jesus face to face. But not only are you part of a great body worldwide, as you saw this week, you're part of a great movement with a very specific calling. Mike mentioned the unreached people groups, and later this year we are going to pray for the people groups in a 24-7 format. You'll get an opportunity as a church to say, we'll take that day and we want that day and we're going to pray and we'll send you the people groups. Around about uh, 4,100, I think, unreached people groups in the world today. And as a movement right across the world... We're going to give a year to just pray every day for the unreached people groups. And we'll pass the baton around the nations. And people will hear, oh, Apex are praying tonight. These are the people groups. We're going to pray. Because I believe that God is going to take us into time to release more and more. So you're part of a great movement. Second, lastly, you're part and a member of a very, very special community here. Apex. God has got his hand on you. We've seen it over the time. Uh, Chatting to Yvonne earlier and saying, this week must have brought you great joy to see this place packed. You know, when you birth a church and you're starting off and trying to find your way and then you see how God builds his body. Don't see this as a gathering to attend now and again. Give yourself heart to it and say, Lord, I'm part of something that is making you known across the nations. And then know that individually you have a very specific part to play. Very specific. Different gifts given. He's given us unity. He's given us diversity. And he's given us community. I went to Mexico in November and was my first visit to South America 
and um, oh, sorry, to Central America, and um, I couldn't believe how different the Mexican people were to anything I've seen. I've been to India many times. I've been all over. But going to Mexico, suddenly it was this vibrance of color and expression that I hadn't seen. And I thought, oh, they're coming into us. They're going to add something to us. How wonderful it will be one day when we can gather and we can express all those things together. So I want to say thank you to you as a, move, as, a, as a community, as a church. Thank you for participating with us. Sorry that we don't come to you very often. Um, as Mark said earlier, part of our call is to, to keep opening up, to keep helping, keep laying foundations in the nations. And I would really appreciate it if you pray for us um, as we go forth. Pray for us, particularly in Australia at the moment. We've got a very, very difficult situation to deal with in a few weeks' time. But at the same time, be praying for Donna as she goes into Burundi. Things are always uncertain there. And Donna, I just want to say again how proud we are of you. Keep going forward. I know you go into your own community there. Please send our love as a wider church. Would you stand, please? I wonder if you just put your hands out in front of you, close your eyes. Father God, Father God, Father, as we stand before you as a church community here on the Isle of Wight, we want to say thank you for one another. Thank you that we're not all the same, Lord. Thank you that you've created us just as you wanted us to be. Thank you that we can learn from one another. Thank you that we can share life together. And I do pray, Lord, over this community right now, that they would go from strength to strength. I pray that you'd speak to them very clearly about their key purpose and all that you've called them to do. I pray as they push into Burundi, as they release people into different parts of the world, I want to say, Lord, keep growing them. Let them not become stuck, Lord. Not become stuck. But I pray they'd go from strength to strength. Father God, we bless you. We thank you that we get to join you on this great commission around the world. Bless us and keep us. May we... Be faithful with all that you've called us to do. We pray this in your wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.